I'd like you to open your Bible this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. One of the very best subjects in the New Testament for a Christian is the subject of the indwelling Christ. That's one of my favorite subjects. And in many different ways through the last 30 years, that's what we've taught on. That's what we try to major on. Because that's what Christianity is to be focused on, the indwelling Christ. And I want to talk this morning about the presence of the indwelling Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Now, you're familiar with this verse. You should be. But the content of this verse is very challenging. Examine yourselves whether or not you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? That's a strong word. There are probably other words we'll come up with in just a minute that would make it easier to read that or finish that sentence. Reprobate is a tough word because it's not a good word. You would never want to have a nickname of Repi or nothing like that or, or Rebo. That would not be a good nickname because a reprobate is one who is disqualified or rejected or unaccepted. It doesn't refer to somebody who hasn't been involved because they have been. It doesn't refer to somebody who has, at least in their estimation, tried, tried to live, tried to do. They have. But it just means that at the end, they were rejected. How many of you remember the little verse in 1 Corinthians 9 when Paul was referring to running in a race? And he said, well, I run myself and I keep under my body lest in the end, he said, I should be disqualified or a reprobate in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. It's used like that to show us that being disqualified can happen, and it does happen, and it will happen to far too many people that it should not happen to. We're in here this morning with an opportunity. We always are. Every time we come together, it's an opportunity. You can learn. You can open yourself up to God. You can become something. You can receive something. Things can change in your life, unless really you're not wanting it to. And that would be the kind of a life that a reprobate in the end will live. Now, in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, our text this morning, it begins by saying, examine yourself and prove yourself. See, the question we would ask is to you in here today, is Christ in you? Now, that's a Bible phrase. We use that, yeah. But is Jesus in you? How did he get in there? If he's in you, how did he get in? Did he just come in because he wanted to? Or did he awaken you for your need for him and then give to you whatever you've got to have and open up your life and heart to him? How did he come in? And how can you tell this morning, any of us, all of us, how can we tell if Christ really is in you? Or could Christ be in you without evidence? Could a man have a living Savior in his life, in his heart? Christ dwells in your heart and so forth. Could a man have 
the occupancy of the Savior in his life without evidence. In other words, if I'm really a Christian, Christ really has come into my heart and made me a new person. Can I have all of this without any evidence of it? Because a lot of people, I think, in religious circles think so. That the evidence, the effort, the good works, the life, the living is not really as necessary as a lot of people think. Because if you had to do something to be saved or to maintain salvation, then your salvation would be by works. And we can't have that. So salvation was simply an act of God's will at some point in your past whereby he saved you. And one man I remember saying once, and, and then after he saves you, then you repent, and then you do all these other things that you're required to do. But you don't have to do that to be saved. So a lot of people have this idea that you can be a Christian without actually displaying it all the time. A little track that came out right after I got saved. Oh, they must have sold millions of or gave millions of these away. And it majored on carnal Christianity. And sometimes people use the, the phrase, well, now, real Christianity is. If you stop and think about it, what is real Christianity? I thought Christianity was Christianity. Is it real or is it just? And what is carnal Christianity? What in the world is carnal Christianity? Is that a license to be carnal? You know, I go to church, but I'm really carnal. Well, the Bible said, you read in Romans chapter 8, God has nothing to do with carnality like that. Those things are rejected. That's what brings reprobation in your life. Who invented carnal Christianity? Who has said we do not have to live the real or the true Christian life, but we should? But if you don't, you'll make it anyway. Who said that? See, the Bible tells us, your Bible, the verse we're reading this morning, it says, you personally, individually, who make these claims to who you are and your religious affiliate, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Both the word examine and the word prove. The words pirazzo and dokimazo. Aren't you glad you know those words? These words are also used in examining your faith. Is your faith really genuine? Do you really have faith in God? Well, put it to the test. It's used that way several times. But in this case, it says, now you, when the room is empty, you're all by yourself, just you and the Almighty, because it's so necessary and vital, examine yourself. Give yourself a test. Ask yourself some questions. Those words you used this week, the choices you made, the thoughts you had in your mind, the jokes you laughed at, the stuff you watched, the people you were around and this and that. Is that Christianity? Examine yourself. Don't be afraid of that. Give yourself a test. How am I doing? I've heard this and I've heard a lot of things and I have said, I'm a Christian, I believe in God and so forth. How are you doing? Is there evidence of that in your life? See, I think to examine yourself is one of the necessary things that we must often do. How are you doing? Are you taking all of this for granted? 
Are you a member of a church because you got baptized in the water and the preacher met you at the door? That's what happened to me. Is that the extent of your Christianity? Is that it? In the church I grew up in, the people, that's all they had ever done. When they were at their funeral, they all went to heaven. There must not be much to it. But why this verse? And why does it say, examine yourself whether or not you're in the faith? I assume we all are. But well, apparently not. He said, examine yourself to see whether you are. Does your life reflect His presence and His work? The Bible says to those in whom it really is happening, God is at work in you. Well, is He? How can I tell? How can I know and have the confidence that God is working in me and doing what He wants done through me. He doesn't bypass my will. I have to give him my will or I have to yield myself to his workings or it's just a verse of scripture. What do we do? Are you living this life fearful like you used to? Are you afraid? Are you never sure about what God will do and therefore you're not sure you can trust him or that it'll come to pass? Have you been talked out of it by all the doubt peddlers you've run into in your life? Well, I don't know about that. Are you backing off? That's not the work of God. Why would you back off? Is it fear? Well, God has a remedy for fear. God is working in you to get you over that hump. Are you getting over it? Are you getting free from all these things that bound you before you came to Christ? Jesus, the strong man on the inside of you, is there to set you free. And he gave you the most powerful thing on this earth to set you free. That's his word. He gives you a place to come and learn. He gives you time at home to learn. You're in a free country where you can learn. You can avail yourself to all that you want. And Jesus promised that you shall know that, the truth, and that truth will make you free. And God's people, therefore, should be identified as being free. We're not bound. We're not for sale if they want to bribe us or threaten us. We're not afraid to die. We're not afraid to live. We have committed ourselves by putting our hands to a plow to live on His terms, and we're not willing to look back. And if it costs us everything, then that's just a time that we rejoice. Because the Bible said this is going to happen to you, and now you know you're living life because people are really turning on you. And you're making good choices, and you're doing the right thing, and you're saying yes to God. See, examine yourself. Is this what's going on in your life? Because he ends by saying in, in verse 5, Know you not how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Now let me show you how God views, other than that verse I quoted. Let me give you four verses this morning. Just follow me for a brief moment on what God shows us about the word reprobate and how dangerous it is to be reprobate. Let's look at Titus first. Titus chapter uh, 1 and verse 16. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul is here writing with those who profess to be Christian. They profess to be Christian. 
I imagine everybody in most every Christian meeting this morning, if individually challenged or questioned, everybody in attendance would say, yes, I'm a Christian. That is, I have been saved. Christ is living in me. And I'm going to heaven. I think everybody would admit that's what Christian is. To be a Christ-like person. A Christ-following person. And in Titus 1 and verse 16, it says, They profess to know God. I just mentioned that. They profess to know God, but in works... It says they deny him. Now, how do you do that? I bet all of you can understand that. It's those who talk a good game but don't live it. They profess to know God. And we should if we're here. Because if you say this morning, well, I don't know him. Well, then you can get it right this morning. They profess to know God but in works. Now, works is the life you live. Your behavior, your manner of life, the choices you make, the way you engage and act and react in public and everything about you that people see. It's your light shining or not shining. And he says, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. That is, what they're doing is not what God wanted. And therefore, what they did, thinking it was, at least I'm trying, that's good enough. And it wasn't. They were disqualified. See, the word reprobate, as I said, it means to be disapproved, to be condemned. It means that, to be rejected or disqualified. Would you say that's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 7 that the, all of those people stood before him and they said, but Lord, we did this and we did that and we did this. And Jesus said to these busy religious people trying to gain heaven the way they think it should be done. He said, I never knew you. Would that be rejection? If Jesus said to anybody who lived a busy Christian life, not on God's terms, but on the system's terms or on their good works terms. They professed to know Him, but they didn't do it His way or necessarily honor Him, but they did something that, that was approved of. And He said, your works were disqualified because all your righteousness is as filthy rags. But man likes to do what he thinks is good enough, and so he did what he did professing to know God, but he didn't do it the way God said. And therefore, when he is at the end of his life and when he presents himself at that time to God, God says, I never knew you. Would that be rejection? Of course it would. How do you come to that? How do you live all those years in a Christian context? How do you be that busy, spend that much money, get that involved, and come to the end of your life and you're rejected? Something is really wrong in how people are engaging God. Would you agree with that, maybe? There's something lacking in many church members' lives that it's not bringing them to a place where they live Christ-like lives. But they're busy, 
As he said in Titus 1, do you profess to know me, but what you're doing denies me. Who gets the glory for what you're doing? You do. Your system does. All your advertisements is about you, your works, what you do, how you're involved. It's little about, if anything, about Jesus. You use my name, but it's not about me. He said, therefore, at the end, you reprobate. Go two books over to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Ever learning, verse 7, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You're busy, you're busy, you're busy. You got your brochures, your booklets, and your pamphlets, and you're filling in all the spaces on the little manual you're going through, but you're not getting the truth. It's not an active force in your life. So he says in verse 8, Now as Janes and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They resist the truth because of what? Corrupt minds. Do you see that? Now I'm going to show you something here in a minute, so hang on to all this. They resist the truth... Meaning that in a religious setting, they hear the truth. Let's say they hear it. It's read. It's spoken. But they resist it. Why? Why would anybody resist? Or uh, Why would they resist the truth? Well, it could get you fired. You lose your job. If you got a job that will not allow you to live this way, you can lose your job, couldn't you? I mean, somewhere, somehow. It could affect your marriage. If she gets saved and he does and he's pretty rowdy and he doesn't like Christianity that much and one day you really got saved, it could affect your relationship with your husband, couldn't it? You know this whenever you're hearing the message. I mean, your brain's computing what you're hearing this morning. Every time you hear it, you're computing it. Your innards, your mind, you're thinking about what you're hearing. And you're also thinking as fast as you can hear it, that if I make application of this, if I act like that, if I really begin to live that way, what would happen to me? And then you begin to see yourself being rejected or abused or something said or done and, and harm or pain or something comes to you because you believe what Jesus said. And a lot of people say, I don't think I'm ready for that. I don't think I'm ready for that. It's just like this being filled with the Spirit. And add the tongues thing to that. Oh, my, no, 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 man. Because I've been here. I went through this. Basketball coach, respected citizen. And I began to lay hold of Christian truths. The word spread like the town was on fire. Like it was burning. And the conversation was what's happened to the coach. Well, he's got religion. Meaning that the people that heard about it but didn't want to do it saw you get it and do it. Casting out demons, oh, brother. Holidays, oh, two brothers. And now he's jabbering in that Pentecostal gibberish, oh, three or four more brothers. People who don't know but who wouldn't accept it if they had it clear. If Jesus drew them a picture, 
they would still reject it because they think more highly of themselves and their place in the community and who they think they are, and they can't let God interfere with that or change that. Now, they're religious and they're busy. They go to church and they do a lot of things, but at the end of all their busyness, they're rejected. And if you tell them that, they'll throw you out the front door. Because religious man that we're talking about here, the, the, with the reprobate or the corrupt mind, he doesn't want God to get in his way. He wants God's stuff. But he doesn't want to have to pay a price like Jesus paid of being rejected by the world. And so he finds a church with a comfortable setting where people are like him, and he assumes that we're all going to heaven because we couldn't all be wrong. And yet they close their ears to a whole lot of what the Bible has to say. I, I don't want to hear it. Don't even say that word in front of me. And if you're going to take my Halloween festival away from me, I'm going to another church. Well, you might as well bob for french fries if you believe in Halloween. I almost spoke on that this morning. And how absolutely ignorant and foolish the church world is about these things. I looked in the paper last night. This is off the side. I looked in the paper last night of the advertisement of the local churches. There's a whole lot of Halloween stuff there, parties. Even the haunted house to scare your children. So they can have nightmares with the cute little demons and witches and goblins. Things that Jesus said must die, stone them until they die. And now the church is bringing them back as a modern day acceptance. They profess to know God. I said they profess to know God. They talk like they know God. But what they're doing is denying the Lord. And so are you. If you dress your kid up like some little witch or some little devil and send him out knocking on doors, I used to say, trick or treat, money or eat. And had a bar of soap in my pocket. They didn't give me something. I'd soap the windows and leave. But I was a nice kid, though. They professed to know God. I did, too, back in those days. The church I grew up in professed to know God. But you couldn't tell it by the way we lived. You couldn't tell it by what we honored in individually. You couldn't tell it by the things that we put before God. We talked a good game. We just didn't live it. That's what he's talking about here. We don't want to admit that this could be a really big deal encompassing the whole realm of Christianity because people go to church and think they're saved. I go to church or I got baptized. I went forward and now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to And we think we say all of that and we're going to heaven. What the Spirit of God has given to us here through the hand of Paul is you talk good. But what you're doing, the choices you're making are in denial of what you've been taught. Not all of it, but... Enough of it that, no, that's not acceptable. Because all your works are filthy rags. Turn to Romans chapter 1. There's a lot of pain in Romans 1. But turn over there anyway because you're not afraid of pain. Romans chapter 1. This was almost our message this morning. Verse 28. Let's just read only verse 
28 and leave all the rest of it out because the rest of this shows all these traits of lost people. People that will not go to heaven. And, and there's some 23 of them mentioned in just verses 30 and 31. 23 in two verses just outlining the kind of Christians live and do these things, but they go to church, therefore it's okay. But let's just forget all that. Let's go back up to verse 28. Quit trying to figure out what all of those words mean down there in verse 30 and 31. But verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now he's talking here about perverted homosexual activity. In the verses before that, and these people don't want the Word of God to be true because they have this lust and feeling, women for women, men for men, and I just can't be wrong because of the strength of my feelings. And consequently, they begin to live that way and they'll die that way. And verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God told them no. God told them that sodomites will not go to heaven. That it is a crime punishable by stoning. Somebody told them that wasn't necessarily so, so they continued to engage and they lost their convictions or their guilt or their conscience got seared. And so he says, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And that same phrase there is still true today. It's those who resist the truth that we spoke of earlier. They do not like to retain, hold on to, and keep the knowledge of God in their minds. They don't want that. And because that's a choice that people make, I don't want to do it God's way. I don't think I have to do it that way. I think that God understands that I'm just a man and I, I'm not ready for all of that and therefore. So man makes himself God. He becomes a little God. And he begins to determine his own destiny. And it has to be all right with God. Because I'm so sincere about my choices here. They're not the right ones to make, but come on. And so the Bible says that they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. And for that reason... For that reason, because of the choice that men who have heard the truth made, this is what God said He does. It says that God gave them over to a reprobate, disqualified, unacceptable, disapproved, condemned, and rejected mind. In other words, the way they think, is what is causing them to do what they do. God has given them something better, but they have rejected it. I don't want to remember that. I don't want to, if you preach on that, I won't be here. And if you're going to talk to me about something I don't want to hear, I will not listen. You know there's people like that today? They just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want to hear about this baptism in the Holy Spirit. I don't want to hear it. I can't afford to hear it anyway. I wouldn't be a deacon or an elder or whatever in our church if I did that. I don't want to hear about your holidays. A lady told me this years ago. I've told it. She said, if you're going to talk on that tomorrow night, I'm not coming. I've had people tell me, if you would just tone down some of your crusades, you'd have a lot more people to follow. 
And I have to say, I'm not looking for anybody to follow me. Why would you want to follow me? I'm a spokesman for God, not some Shing Mo that everybody ought to have a train behind him. <laughs> follow Jesus. Let me give you good reasons to follow him, and that's what church is about. Follow Jesus. Trust him. I'm not the one you stand before on judgment day. He is. I have to stand there myself and give an account for what I didn't say as well as what I did say. So, I mean, we're all going to have to face up to this one day. I'd rather us cry now than cry later. I'd rather us spit in the floor now than to have to bow our heads and hear a sentence of death leveled on us later. I'd rather wrestle with it now and become the unpopular who done it than I would to say, no, I can't handle that right now. I, I could never get a pastor in another church if I did that. Man, if they heard I was a gas Midas, they wouldn't hire me. As I told you once before, a church fired a preacher because he was a gas Midas. Where's that at? Well, they meant charismatic. They couldn't remember how you pronounce it. He was fired. He was a gas Midas. This is the kind of level, in some cases, this is as far as a church is willing to go with what God has to say. And all them people that can get into that system, that's as far as they will ever go. And if anybody tries to get above that, they suppress it. Jesus warned the Pharisees when he called them hypocrites. He says, you not only will not enter in yourself, but you forbid others who want to enter in from going in. You are suppressing God's people. They're little sheep. They're like children. And there will be a millstone tied about your neck in the spiritual sense. You'll wish you'd never been called to preach if you're not going to tell them the truth. So you see, reprobate is a word that defines the people who just really don't want to do what God says. They want to be where it's spoken of. They just don't want to do it, and they want to have the liberty of not having to do it. They're okay anyway. Now, here's what God calls those kind of people. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 30. You need to look over in the middle of your Bible to the right, just a little bit. Jeremiah chapter 6. And verse 30, this is what God calls the people I have been describing for the last 30 minutes. Reprobate silver. Does your Bible say that? He said, reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord has anointed them. What does your Bible say? Rejected them. We're not going to read Jeremiah 6. That's a tough chapter 2. But it's God describing His people. And as we here in Shelbyville, in the year 2011, as we read this that was written back a long, long time ago, we are supposed to take note that God judged them because of the way they act. And if we act the same way, God will judge us also. And we don't have to be judged. We should not be judged for this because we have an opportunity to do things right. This book has taught us what is right and how God feels about what is wrong. These were religious people, Pharisees and all the studious ones. He said, you're reprobate silver. The center column of your Bible will said he called them refuse silver. That's a strong word too, but that's the kind of silver 
they were. They thought there was some value in what they had, and God says it's like dung. It's only amongst yourself. Is there any value to what you're doing? Because the Almighty doesn't accept it. You're disqualified. Now, let's assume this morning that as we ask our question, examine yourself, see if you're in the faith, let's assume that a bunch of you say, you know, I think I'm all right. I'm not perfect. Well, I'm not either. And we're all trying and we do make mistakes. And sometimes we're a little slow in engaging, but let's say we have a heart for it. Turn to Colossians 1. If you do, you're a special person this morning. You are special because of what God is doing in you. Very special. God singles you out. If this is happening and you are in Christ and He's in you, you're special. Colossians 1, look at verse 12 through verse 14. This is basic fundamental theology here. Giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us or who has qualified it, made us meet, means that God has qualified, made it possible that God hath made us qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. This is what He did. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of of sins, even the forgiveness of sins. You read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 about redeemed by the blood. Now think of it. Lost people without hope and without God, religious, church-attending people unsaved. Good people, sometimes clever people, happy people maybe, but Church is where you go and hope that at the end of your life you will have done good enough, well enough, go to heaven. And you live like that. You try very hard. I think that's the way I was doing. And there comes that day that it actually happens. It's no longer church. It's no longer just going to a meeting Something happened. Something happened in which something divine, unexplainable, something for which no book can write about and nobody can put into the proper words, something happened. You begin to be bothered about the condition of your sins in your life. Never bothered you before. I remember this. I can tell this very well because it happened to me. Just as I am and waiting not. And God, who is able to do this, can run your whole life by you in a moment. All the wickedness and fast forward, rewind, fast forward, and keep rewinding and fast forward, and you cannot escape the sentence of death that is in you. No matter how hard you try to justify your best efforts, that thing keeps fast forward and rewinding. Standing there in the pew that day, just as I am, was singing. My heart condemned me from one end to the other, and I couldn't talk fast enough in my mind. All I could see was darkness. I was religious, a good boy, but I was without God and without hope. 
If I had died that day, sadly, I would have been in torment forever. Forever and forever. Not because God just wanted to send me there, but because I rejected his offer. I didn't want his way. Just as I am. And there that moment and that day and all the times you'd thought about this before, I don't know about that, there was this day your heart broke. It just broke. It didn't matter who I was or who I thought I was. My heart broke. And all that death, it was just began to be gushing out of me. I began to weep. I'm a grown man. I really don't do much of that ever. If I do, nobody's around when I do it watching some old dog show. Nobody sees it. <laughs> there is a little tender side to me. <laughs> but that happened. I couldn't stop crying. I was so ashamed for the first time in my life. I was ashamed enough to ask God to change me. And he says, God didn't say it here who is rich in mercy. Had already paid a price. I didn't know about it. Didn't really care. But I suddenly began to see that Jesus is my hope. And it says here that he has delivered me from the power of darkness, translated me into the kingdom of his son in whom I have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of my sins. The forgiveness of my sins. You mean that time in college, those too many times? Yeah, it's all gone. You mean I, it's gone, Hamilton. What about all those times, those little speeches I made at halftime, those not so very... Couth speeches, some of the nasty things, it's gone. You're forgiven. You're forgiven as though you've never sinned a sin in your life. You're free. On that condition that you receive Jesus Christ in your heart and you repent of your sins, God is willing to accept you. You don't accept him. We say, I accept the Lord. You can't accept him. You can only receive him. He must accept you. And he did. And everything began to change because, you see, I became special. Just like the same thing has happened to you, you're special because God has singled you out for blessing. He said he personally has seen to it that what Jesus did is going to affect your whole life. He's going to get himself involved in you. This is the indwelling Christ. He's going to get inside of you and begin to order your steps. You don't know how to live, but he's going to open your eyes. You're going to see some things. You're going to be willing to say, yes. Now, wherever you are, put your finger there and look in Ezekiel 36. For a moment, we'll come right back from there. Ezekiel 36, so this is what happens. In verse 25, this is what happens when you're forgiven and redemption becomes a reality. He said, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, Hamilton, and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. Now here's the new birth, verse 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart 
out of your flesh. You will no longer have a hardness of heart. I'll remove that, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you. You better hope that's happened. And I, God said, will put my spirit within you, and what? Now, can he do that? Could he do that to a classified heathen? Registered in the annals of perfection heathen. Can God so invade a human being's life? Can he so get himself involved inside of my life that he can actually order me from a way that was totally dark and wicked and foolish? Can he then change the course of this life so that it goes the right way and he doesn't have to judge it? He's got to judge this. He's got to judge anything and everything that's not in harmony with his word. If it's not the way he wants, it's disqualified, reprobate. So he causes us to walk in His ways. He puts Himself in us. He's in here. He puts Himself inside of you and by the power that He has and the ability and the might that God has, He begins as He that is working in you to begin to convince you very firmly of the right choices you ought to make without fear the consequences. He can do that. He doesn't do that with everybody. The church is too full of people that don't want anything right. But there's always some. Or just some that are just sold out. Their song is, He's all I need. He's all I need. I have learned that. I heard that. I've experienced that. I know it's true. The steps of a good man are ordered. They're put in place. They're secured by the Lord. It is not, Jeremiah said, it is not within a man that walks to direct his steps, but God can. And the only acceptable life that will ever qualify to meet God is the one who follows the way He gives us. That's how narrow this is, folks. There is a way that seemeth right, but it's the way of death. But there is a way that is right, and it's the way of life. We're so busy with so many things, we just hate to give up. I doubt they could give up their music. And it's not music. Let me help you. It's not music. It's noise. It's just racket. End time racket. That's all it is. And God, He's changing me, my blessed Savior. I'm still the same old rascal that I used to be, but I go to church. No, sir, if He, listen to me, if He's in you, He's changing you. If you're not changing, He's not in there. Examine yourself. This is not terrible Tom's trumpet of tribulation. I'm not trying to make anything hard. I'm just saying that while we're here with thinking minds, comfortable, beautiful day, feeling good, let's give some serious thought to my relationship to what God has said.
because Jesus said this word right here is going to judge us. Now, that being said, are you special to God this morning? Is God at work, Philippians 2.13, is God at work in you? Is there evidence of it? This is where we started the message. Is there evidence of it? Is that something that we can see when your name comes up? Can we say he or she? Well, they love the Lord. They love the Lord. They don't slam their books shut when you turn to a certain passage or a certain subject. Listen to all that. They don't do that because that's not what God would ever lead you to do concerning his word. Never, ever, and ever. And when you do that, it's evidence that he's not there. It's okay to say that, isn't it? Well, it's a little quiet this morning, but I think I can understand that. That's okay as long as something's going in. But he said he has given us an inheritance. Now, you know what the inheritance is? Not only all the the good things of God that he gives you, you couldn't earn it, but something that is laid up for you. Peter wrote about an inheritance that is undefiled, reserved, laid up in heaven waiting for your arrival. There will come a day I can't explain this. I don't have the words or the experience. But as best I can read it, there comes a day when you do terminate your life here. There's a day. We're all assigned a certain day. We're going to die. Unless Jesus comes. And then we deal with God. It's us and Him. Nothing will be hidden. Nothing is looked over. Nothing's forgotten. Everything... Everything's remembered. And when the Father says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord, you will enter into a dimension, a life that nobody can explain. Nobody can tell us about it. We just read about it. But it's such a life that awaits us that Jesus was able to say, No eye has ever seen it. No mind has ever conceived it of what God has prepared for those who love him. We can get bogged down in this life. You can get bogged down in your routines. You can get frustrated so easy that you give up and give in. But the Bible says God is never in you to cause you to give up and give in. God in you is like a warrior in you, a warrior. There is no quit in Jesus. There was never a verse in all the Scripture that ever said Jesus was afraid. Not even one verse that ever said Jesus was fearful. Not one time did he ever quit. He said, I came to do my Father's will. That's what God causes us to do, for he is at work in you to do that. And this is the work of God. This is who we are. We are believers. We've been brought out of darkness into His marvelous light. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Our sins have been forgiven. Let's get totally away from them. Let's begin to walk in newness of, of life because the indwelling Christ is in there doing His work. This is what He does. I'd like to show you a couple things He does. One of the things that he says that you will do, 2 Corinthians 5.17, would you look at it? Turn over there to it. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, 
Examine yourself to see if you are. But if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Or new creation. If any man be in Christ, if, and it doesn't assume that all are, but if you are in Christ, the Scripture says you are a new creation. Who recreated you? God did. You're made new. A new spirit comes in. A new heart is given you. The part of you that controls your life has been changed. The Almighty God, by His Spirit, becomes the source of your strength, the reason for your joy, the absolute certainty of all your tomorrows, because He's in all your tomorrows until the end of your life. He's already there. He's promised there's a place where we can meet, a communion place, the secret place, not known to except to those who go there. A secret place of the Most High where the security and the confidence that a man has coming out of that place or finding in that place changes your whole life. Some people think you're weird or strange. You don't watch this. You don't go there. You won't wear that. What's wrong with you? Nothing. I found the new way of living. I found the new life divine. I have the fear of the Spirit. I'm abiding in the vine. the way it should be. Isn't that normal? Amen. Well, let me go over it again. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All your habits, all that stuff. It might take a while for some of them to go, but all things become what? New. Your cigarettes will pass away. Your alcohol will pass away. Your flirtatious manner of life will pass away. Your ornery thoughts will pass away. That's the way you were. Your mind, of course, has to be renewed. You didn't get a new mind. This is where you prove yourself right here. Because your mind wants to go back the old ways. Your mind was trained to be carnal. The world corrupted you, but you got something new down here. Remember that? Romans 12, be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. It takes a while. It's a process. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can now prove what the will of God is instead of saying, I don't know about that. No, you will know. You live it right, you will know. And he said that you're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You'll sing a song. I think we sing one occasionally. It says, I found... Um, yeah, isn't that right? Don't we sing that? I found a, uh, a new way of living. I've found a new life divine. I got it out of the Sunday school quarterly. No, you got it from God by revelation. I have the fruit of the Spirit. I'm abiding in divine. That's the song you begin to sing. All of my past, as I've already said, I am forgiven. And I sing it, this little light of mine. I wish the thing would shine. <laughs> this little light of mine. 
I choose by an act of my will to let it shine. Ooh, not around those people. Ooh, I'm in trouble. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Boom, 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 boom. Let it shine. You going to do that? Examine yourself. Examine yourself again. Don't believe anything I've said because I said it. My opinions don't mean a hill of beans, but the Word does. This is where we are, folks. This is where we are in these last days. We're living in the greatest tragedy in history. You are, as I speak right now, we're living in the greatest, most tragic time in history. The world is coming to a close. Men's hearts are failing them because of fear. They don't know what to do. Governments are rising against governments. Hate is everywhere. Perilous times, dangerous times all over the world. The dollar is not far from being history. The things you're counting on now for your retirement, it may all dissipate. We'll see. People are not honorable any, anymore. Crime in the streets, cursing and vulgarity in the classroom, sex education, teaching people how to do things they shouldn't be taught, robbing kids of their childhood. You're living in the most tragic time that has ever been because the world that lies in darkness, the Bible says Satan go about to deceive the whole world. The whole world. Jesus said concerning these days that darkness is coming when no man will be able to work. You're the only light. Now, when the light is removed from the world, there is nothing but darkness. There's no way to go. There's no direction. And you read in Revelation chapter 6, and that sixth seal judgment comes. Men will pray in those days for the rocks to fall on them. They want to die, but they can't. God still holds the power of death in his hands. They can't die. It's great, terrible judgments coming in this world. We're at the beginning stages of it right now. When you see certain things come to pass, Jesus said, this is not the end, but you're about there. It's a time to tighten up your life. It's a time to get your house in order. Not that you're going to die, but I don't know what's coming. It's a time for me to know that if death came now, I'm going to be in heaven just a moment from now. I want to know that. While I have time, young kids, I want to teach them what is right. I want to drill them. I want to make sure that I live everything that I can live according to what God said because He's coming. He's coming. There's a pale rider coming in this world with death. In his hand, he's coming too. The horseman. I don't want to get into all of that. That's so interesting about the end of the world, the tragedy of how people live, and uh, several billion people are going to be judged. And think of those in the church. Judgment will begin where? At the house of God. They're going to hear the truth. 
somebody's going to declare the truth and the people are going to set themselves up for either blessing or judgment by making a decision. Yes or no. I will or I won't. And when they say, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't think that's necessary. I don't know why we have to do that. Then judgment will come because as God gave people up to their vile passions so he can let you have it your way. Read Romans 1. And that's the end. When the end comes, people won't know it. But to those that look for Jesus, Jesus will return the second time without sin unto salvation. And we will be caught up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Will you be there? We've just gotten to page two in this sermon, but we'll save it. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, enable us this morning with clear minds and honest hearts to see ourselves as you see us. As you see us, enable us this morning to see what you see. And help us, Lord, of that verse in 1 Corinthians 11 where you said, If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If we could see ourselves the way you see us, and if we would reach a verdict against ourselves, Lord, you wouldn't have to. But it takes courage, it takes conviction, it takes an honest heart to do that. So I ask in the name of Jesus that you open our eyes and enable us to make a judgment against ourselves or at least examine ourselves. And in the personal and private confines of our own lives and minds, give us the courage to make a good decision today. A decision that will be noted soon enough as people see how our lives are changed. How that we come together with a desire to hear the word, a desire to worship a desire to help and love and do. All the motivation of Jesus in our lives, making us the kind of people he wants. I ask you to do that to us and for us this morning before we leave. That nobody goes home without an opportunity and a chance this morning to deal with something in your life. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.